Um, today, I'm going to be talking about um, the topic, if we have to have a topic, will be Lord, use me. And for people that are looking at me and they're saying she's going to talk about joining the workforce again, it has nothing to do with being born to serve. But <laughs> I really think we should be useful, and I believe God created us to be useful. Um, so we're going to be talking about Lord, use me to today. I want to summarize everything I'll say at the beginning. So if you don't remember any word I say, the three basic things we're going to talk about today would be that um, I believe that God created the world and he deliberately created us based on the world to be based on relationships and connections. You know, so everyone you know, everyone you meet, it, there is a reason for that connection. It's not random. God is not random. He just doesn't do things. He puts you in a certain place for a certain reason. And you're supposed to be somewhere at an exact time for a particular reason. Because there's a connection that you're supposed to make at that place you are going to, divinely ordained by God. And if you are not there, guess what? You've just uh, postponed that connection by yourself. And in saying this, I remember something pastor said to me maybe seven years ago. Um, he was... He had booked a meeting to come to my house to see my mother some, I think it was towards Christmas. And I wasn't at home. I'd gone for, so he called me and he said, where are you? I said, well, I'm at a carol service in some church. And I thought he'll give me props. I wasn't at a party. I was at a carol service somewhere. But at that time, even though I was somewhere where it was good, I wasn't where I was supposed to be at that time. He asked me a question. Is that where God wants you to be right now? And I thought it was weird until I understood. I couldn't understand that. I'm like, but I'm in church. But later I understood what he was saying. There is a timing. There is a season. There are connections. It's all based about relationships, on relationships. The whole world, we're all an interconnected set of people. And we've been deliberately interconnected by God because we are supposed to be useful to the other person. Before I belabor that topic, I'll go to the next um, point to say that the second thing I want you to take away from today is that you are the answer to someone's prayer. So I need you to look at your neighbor and tell them that you are the answer to someone's prayer. So someone has been praying for years, someone has been waiting on the Lord for years, but guess what? You hold the answer to that person's situation if you decide to be used by God. The third thing, which is almost the most important thing, that even though the whole world and all of us, the way God has created the, the, the grand scheme of things in this world to work is based on connections and relationships, even though you are the answer to somebody else's problem, it is important that we focus on God, who is the designer of the relationships. Because we can easily get carried away when we live here today and say, you know what, relationships are important, the person beside, sitting beside me or someone in church is the answer to my problem. Therefore, I should focus on the people. But then we would have missed it. Because it is the God that designs the relationships in the first place that we're supposed to focus on. And in focusing on him, he will create those divine connections that will sort us out for life. 
Amen. Psalm 146, verse 5. Apologies, you don't have an outline. It's all my fault. Um, so please write down in your notebooks. Um, Psalm 146, verse 5 says, New Living Translation. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. We have to remember our hope and our helper is God. We cannot depend on human beings. We cannot depend on the connections God is bringing into our lives. We cannot depend on the relationships God is connecting us with because the arm of flesh will certainly fail. Having said that, as the three broad points we're going to talk about, um, I thought it would be good for us to share biblical examples where everyday, became, everyday people became supernatural answers. Because it's easy for us to think that, you know, there's certain kind of people ordained or specially chosen by God to be solutions to other people's problems. So I thought if we use some examples from the Bible and we use everyday example that we would, we would walk out of here knowing fully that we really are the solution to other people's problem and we need God to use us. So the first um, example I want us to, to talk about today is, you know, something pastor taught me this as well. I never saw Mary in that way, but it's looking at the, um, the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how God used her to be a behind-the-scenes helper. Very, if you come to this church, you would have read this verse with us many times. But I'm going to read it from um, John chapter 2, 1 to 5. Not really, really. Put it on the screen. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. While they put it on the screen... Um, Mary basically identified an unspoken need. So this was Jesus' first miracle. He went to a wedding, and they ran out of, the bride and groom ran out of um, wine. Not, nothing in Scripture tells us that the bride and groom sent a message to Mary. Nothing in Scripture tells us that, you know, she, they even publicized it. What, what happened was that wine ran out, and she saw that there was an unspoken need. And even though nobody asked her to be useful, she decided to be useful. She decided to let God use her in that situation. It wasn't her problem. I mean, if everybody had mocked the bride and groom to scorn, it wouldn't have affected her. But she decided to let God use her. And, you know, today we can see the benefit of that. One thing I want us to take away from, from that, it's on the screen now. Um, John 2, 1 to 5, the Bible says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. And he was right, it really wasn't their problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. She went and she acted without any force. I can imagine nobody in this church, today's Christian, who has that much influence on Jesus. Let's just imagine Jesus is here right now and you are the mother of Jesus. I can imagine a lot of people will first go to the bride and groom and say to them that don't worry, the problem you have will be resolved. God has told me so. Then they'll run back and go and tell Jesus to orchestrate it. Only because they want to take the glory at the end of it. You know, sometimes people don't do it deliberately, but we put ourselves in front of what God wants to use us for. Be the behind-the-scenes helper. 
The person that raises up a voice for some other person, even if you don't know the person in the first place, it doesn't matter. What happens is that you are, what matters is that you are in a position whereby your action and by you using your influence, God's name will be glorified. Because at the end of the day, God's name was glorified. I don't think the bride and groom, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I don't know if they knew that Mary started it. But it doesn't matter. You will get your reward in the first place. God will reward you because you've done something that is useful. So I'll end that with Mary allowed God to use her as an answer to prayers. Will you allow God to use you today? And when God is using you, would you be loud about it or just do it behind the scenes and get it over and done with? We'll move on to another example. This example was um, from the life of Nehemiah. We, the Bible verses we're reading here, Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, then verses 10 to 11, as well as Nehemiah 2, 1 to 10. I'm sorry I'm reading fast, but let's go back to Nehemiah 1, 1 to 4. So Nehemiah, at the risk of his own life, stood in the gap for his people. Now, this was a time that they'd been taken into, into exile. He wasn't suffering. Nehemiah, the Bible says, was the cupbearer of the king. So if anybody was sorted, he was sorted. Because nothing will happen to the cupbearer of the king that is staying in the king's palace. But when he heard the story of, the, of what the other exiles, exiled people were going through, he rose up and he became useful. Let's read the Bible. So um, Nehemiah 1 to 4. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Ahasuerus. I was at the fortress of Susa. And I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, verse 4, this is Nehemiah speaking. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. To the God of heaven. Verse 5. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his command. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Verse 8. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Verse 10. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those who delight, delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's 
cupbearer. While they put the second verse up, which is Nehemiah 2, 1 to 10, I'll summarize that story so we wouldn't waste time. What happened was that, um, like I said before, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was not suffering. He was not in Jerusalem. His walls had not been torn down. But for days, because his people, God's people were suffering, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. Now, this is a story, this is, this is speaking to us. So Nehemiah was in a long time ago. This is 2015 and we're in Nigeria. Let's even talk about last year's elections and the ongoing Boko Haram situation. We sit in Lagos or wherever we are in the world and we say, it hasn't come near me. All my family members are complete. Yet, we're supposed to stand in the gap. Not anyone in this church because we're always praying in this church. But we're supposed to stand in the gap for other people. That is allowing God to use you. Even though he was in a comfortable place, he was abroad in court. The minute he heard what his other people were going through, he stood up and he started being useful to God. He went to the king. The Bible says he was shivering when he went to the king. Actually, he couldn't even say anything. It was the king that asked him, why do you look so sober? What's wrong with you? And when he wanted to start talking, he was scared, which meant that if he had said the wrong thing, he could have been killed or something. But he spoke on behalf of his people and God honored his prayer and God allowed the king release him to go and build the fortress, to go and build back Jerusalem, and also gave him an introduction letter to other people that could help them. My question to us today is that who do you stand in the gap for? So when people, the Bible says that the exiled people were disgraced. So you, we see people that are disgraced around us. Does it motivate us to stand up and pray? Or does it motivate us to say, hey, yeah, oh, Mashiach. Because if we, we, if we are in contact or we come into, well, we come into contact with people that are in need of support in some way or in need for God to move for them and we don't do any action like Nehemiah did at great ex risk to his life, then, I don't know, we need to ask God to use us because that is the reason why we're here. And that's the reason why you're connected to the person in the first place. And that's the reason why you heard the story of that person. You are supposed to move into action in words, in deeds, by prayer, not to just click next. The third example, life of Rebecca. Rebecca had compassion for a perfect stranger. And every time I think of the life of Rebecca, I think of us. We're asking God for something, we're praying to God for something, and we have no idea that for God to answer, the answer to our prayer is actually disguised by us helping somebody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so you're asking God to give you X. Actually, God is ready to give you X. But for you to access that X, you need to help Mr. Y. And immediately you help that Mr. Y. Mr. Y is holding your own answer. But to access your own answer, you need to first provide help. That's how I see the life of Rebecca. Um, so we know this story. It's in Genesis 24. We'll read verses 12 to 18. Um, you can read 42 to 50 at home. But Rebecca, the way I see her, was an ordinary girl, maybe not a beautiful ordinary girl, on an ordinary day, performing an ordinary function. She was just fetching water. But she became to, the answer to someone's prayer. And by doing that, she got an extraordinary answer to the prayer of her heart. 
So the story of Rebecca um, starts with a servant that has been sent by his master to go and look for a wife for his son, Isaac. So he says, I don't want any wife around here. Go back to where I come from and go and look for a woman. Which was a, an almost impossible task for the servant. But he believed in God, so he prayed. His prayer is what we're going to start reading. Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you've selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with a water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's father, Nahor, and his wife, Milcah. Did I say Abraham? Okay. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please, give me a drink of water from your jug. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. If the story ends here, if it had ended here, for me, it was a perfect story already. Someone gave, someone prayed a very random prayer. And by a spring, women are coming to fetch, young girls are coming to fetch water from this spring. For me to know that you are showing unfailing love to my master, let the first person I ask to give me water if she answers that, yes, I'll give you water and I'll give, you, I'll give your camels water as well, then that was, that was the prayer he was asking. You know, that was the answer to his prayer. He will know that that's the wife for Isaac. Do you know how almost impossible that prayer was? It was almost impossible. I mean, what are the chances that the first person that will come will say yes and not only say yes to one thing, will say yes to two things, exactly how he has prayed his prayer. Now, we know God is working. We know that this had everything to do with God. But we also know that Rebecca cooperated with God. She let God use her. Because if Rebecca had gotten there and said, water. Okay, I can give you water, but I can't give your camels water. Do you know what it takes to, to, to give camels water? Camels that have been traveling for days. But she cooperated with God. And in that cooperation, that is where she got her answer. I don't know if Rebecca was praying to God though, for a husband. But I know that every woman, their desire is to find the perfect man that God has chosen for them. And in every way, Isaac was the most eligible person. All she did was fetch water. And all she did was allow God to use her. And in allowing God to use her, she got an answer to her prayer. We don't fetch water today. But you walk somewhere. You do stuff. You do your business. You meet people every day. Who have you been the Rebecca to? Some people come into your office and they, they, they're unbelievers and they've just prayed, God, if you do this, if you show me favor, then I will know you exist and I will serve you. Meanwhile, it's you they're coming to meet. And you are able to show that favor and you don't show that favor. Rebecca allowed God to use her as an answer. Will you allow God to use you today?
Another um, perfect, great example of helping a perfect stranger was a Shunammite woman. You know, when Jesus was talking to her at the well as well, she didn't know Jesus from anywhere. And in short, there were even the two people, their people were supposed to be fighting. They weren't supposed to talk to themselves in John chapter 4. But at least she started talking to Jesus. She gave him the benefit of a doubt. And therein, she found the solution to her life. And not only, to, well, at least she got clarity about her life. And then she became an evangelist. Because the second um, chapter starts with saying, people believed because of what she said. So please, be a Rebecca to someone starting from today. Example number four is the widow of Zarephath. Which is an awesome example. Because it's easy for us to say, help someone when things are good for you. But it's almost impossible to say, help someone when you yourself are in your time of need. Every time I read this, this story, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 to 16. It's a very common story, so we can read it later. Every time I read it, I say, but God, the widow probably needed more help than, than Elijah. She was a widow. The Bible says we should take care of widows. Besides, she had a child. So she, of all people, needed, I almost say that, I don't really say that, but I think that sometimes. But God wanted, she allowed herself to be used by God at a time when she had just enough food for her and her child to eat and then die because it was a time of famine. And somebody comes and says, make that food and give it to me. I need to ask a question right now, reality check. How many people will make that food and give it to that prophet? Let's not be churchy. Let's be real. Because if we're not real, we won't be able to replicate it. How many people will say, last food though, this is the last meal for me and my child. Even if you want to do it, you'll think about your child, right? Elijah has lived his life. Your child is just about to live his life. How many people will raise up their hands and do that? Not many, unless you are inspired of God. But that's what she did. And I believe that God is asking us that in the middle of our trials, I mean, it doesn't mean that you yourself, you are crying, you know, and you're begging someone. You're begging God for something. When you see somebody else crying, stop. Wipe your tears. Comfort that person. And then God will meet you at your need. Because until we start being useful to God that way, the people, I mean... So somebody is going through a difficult time. The person is seeing people. The person is not necessarily seeing God. The person knows God is there, but is seeing people. God needs us to extend his love to that person. So that person knows that, look, there is tomorrow. And that's exactly what this widow did. Amazing, amazing thing that she did. And because of that, God ensured that not only did she have food, she and her son continued to have, they did not lack food. For that singular gesture of faith, because it took amazing, amazing faith. So I say again that the widow of Zarephath allowed God to use her as an answer to prayers. Will you? It's a question. Think about it. The fifth biblical example we'll use is that of Priscilla and Aquila. In Acts 18, 24 to 27, please let's read this verse. It's short. God used them, these two ladies, these two women, as teachers for, for Apollo. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, 
had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had taught the way of the Lord and he had taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the word of God even more accurately. Why is this important? There are people in your life, so it's clear, Apollos, was a, he knew the scripture, at least the totality of what he knew. He was enthusiastic about preaching God's word. He was going around preaching boldly. But these two Christian women heard him and they realized that all he knew was about um, John the Baptist. He didn't have the full knowledge. He didn't know a lot that he should have known. They didn't stand there in the middle of the synagogue and say, Apollos, did you know that X, Y, Z? You know, sometimes people ask some people questions and that question is not really a question. It's a disguise. It's meant to embarrass the person that is talking and show that you are smarter than the person. That wasn't what they did. They called him aside and they explained with accuracy to him. Because in that particular instance, they allowed themselves to be used by God. And we'll see the effect of what they did later on if we read that scripture. If we read the whole of, the, of um, Acts 18. Because Apollos, if he was bold, if he was an enthusiastic preacher any, before, he continued. Now he had robust knowledge. But it was because two women had resisted the urge of I too know had resisted the natural urge of showing other people up in public and had allowed people use them, allowed God use them to mentor other people. Now, there are lots of Priscilla's and Aquila's sitting here. I'm not talking church here. I'm talking about everyday life, including church. And there are people around you that they're trying their best, they're enthusiastic, but you know that there's something that you are supposed to teach them. Number one, if you are going to teach them that thing, mentor them, do you embarrass them in public in teaching them? Yeah, because that's a way of teaching them. Or do you call them aside, teach them and let them bloom and do what God has brought them to do? Again, Priscilla and Aquila allowed themselves to be used by God. Will you allow yourself to be used by God? So I thought that is... Um, Bible examples. I know sometimes when people listen, they're like, yeah, those people are special people. Aquila and Priscilla were filled with the Holy Spirit 24-7. And I thought I'll share with you something that I, I um, something from Facebook. So that is as real as, as it can get and, you know, contemporary as it can get. So on Facebook, um, I follow a particular group. And this particular group, it's um, some guy that goes around... New York taking pictures of people. So he goes around taking pictures and asking them questions. But he asks those questions in a very interesting way that you get to know other people. I mean, just by seeing a picture and what the person said, you can kind of imagine the struggles people are going through. And it's very useful because when he asks a question and someone is going through something difficult, people always, you see the humanity in people, which is why I watch it. Why I follow the, I, the reason why I follow that group is that when you listen to news, and when you listen to everything happening in the world, you think everybody is evil. But they're still good people, Christians or not. You know, so for, in following this, I see... Anyway, let me put that aside. 
What's important that in January, he put a picture of a boy up on the screen and introduced the boy. This was a teenager, everyday, ordinary teenager that lived in the hood. So he lived in a, in a disadvantaged area in New York. They were not rich. And he asked the boy a question. Who is the most influential? The boy's name is Vidal or Vidal. I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'll just pronounce it one way. Bear with me. And he asked him, who, was the who is the most important influence in your life? And the boy answered, my principal. Um, her name is Miss Lopez. And he went ahead to explain why his principal was the most influential person. That the woman, instead of, you know, when they get into trouble, instead of punishing them, she'll call them into our office and use words to build them up. You know, you guys are black, disadvantaged people in the hood. Nobody expects anything better from you. They expect you to go to jail. But I expect better from you. You can do this, you can do that. So I just thought, oh, what a nice story. But another thing I thought about was, it's not, apologies to teenagers, your teenage years, you are usually selfish. I mean, it's all about you. But this was a young boy. I remember clicking off that page and going, this was a young boy that remembered to give honor to whom honor is due. And I thought that was where the story was going to end, but that's not where it ended. First Timothy 5.17 was what I was thinking about when I, when I saw that scripture. The Bible says, when I saw that picture, the Bible says, let, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, let the elders who perform the duties of their office well be considered doubly worthy of honor and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. I just thought this boy is not a Christian, but he's applying Christian principles. And I thought that was the end of the story. By the 22nd of January, this photographer had gone to go and look for the woman, Miss Lopez, you know, and was asking her questions. So he said, you know, what is your, I don't know what question he asked the woman, but her answer was that the reason why she's like this is because when she sees those children, she doesn't see them like everybody else sees them. She tells them that you are kings and queens, you know, you know, build it the way, the way scripture tells us to, to build other people up in faith. Again, I'm not sure she's a Christian. Later on, she talked about herself praying. I want to believe she's a Christian, but she was applying Christian principles. Walk, bear with me. Just, just stay with me. I'm going somewhere. And what I'm trying to show is how everyday people can do extraordinary things just by doing what they do on a normal basis. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap their consequences, either death or life. What are you speaking to the people around you? That same day, this photographer came back online and said, look, this school, talked about this school, they are trying to, we want to raise money for them because they're in, in a place in New York that is so violent that a lot of them never make it out of the hood. I'm not talking of making it out of the state. They never make it out of that neighborhood. So we want to raise money to be able to give them a field trip when they get to the sixth grade to go and see somewhere outside, and they chose Harvard. People then started um, donating money. Okay, one thing that one of the students said, they asked one of the students in the school, what is your greatest goal in life? And he said, for me to step an inch away from the hood will be his greatest achievement. He wasn't asking for much. He just wanted to leave that area. 
So they started raising money. In one day, they had ra they'd raised 365,000. I thought it was a joke. I'm like, ah-ah. In four days, so by the, by the first day, they had, they had achieved that aim of the school being able to send sixth graders out of their area for the very first time in their life to go and see Harvard. So they asked, okay, we've raised the money in one day. What's your second, you know, request? She said she wants a summer school program for her school that when the children go out on holiday, because it's a very dangerous neighborhood, a lot of them can't step out of their house. You know, so they stay there until they, you know, start school again. That she wants to start a summer program and she needs some funds. So he came back online and said, this school needs money to start a summer program. They started raising money. By the end of day four, they had raised $700,000, so which was enough for, for them to do the field trip, which was enough for them to do the summer program. So they came back and asked her, what do you want? She said, I want to... Um, I want to create a fund, a scholarship fund. And this scholarship fund is for people that come because the chances of going to college very, very slim. They now said they were going to name that scholarship fund in the name of Vidal. Remember the boy that, remember the teenager that started this story five days ago, about six days ago now? So they said they were going to name it in his name and they started raising money again. I think it was the next day that they got to 875000 And then I started paying attention because I know things happen, but things just don't happen that way. I'm like, why is God interested in this story? And then the next post made me know why God was interested in the story. I'll read what Miss Lopez said. Um, she said, I have something to admit to all of you. Before all of this happened, I was about to give up. I was broken. I felt like typing my resignation. I told my mother, mom, I don't think I can do it anymore because I don't think my scholars care and I don't think they believe in themselves enough to care. I'm afraid they don't think they're good enough. And my mother told me to pray on it. But I told her I might be too angry to pray. And I know this is hard to believe because you guys have never seen me break, but I was broken. It was just like when you see your mother break down. You only see your mother cry when she's been fighting so hard for you and she doesn't think you care. That's how I felt. But then a couple of nights later, I was with my daughter at a Broadway show and we were waiting for the show to start. And I started to get these text messages from teachers and former students. And then I saw Vidal's face pop up on my screen. And my first thought was that something bad had happened because that's normally the case around here when somebody's photo shows up unexpectedly. And the moment I realized that Vidal had said something nice about me, the usher came over and made me turn off my phone. When I went out during break, um, her daughter said she'd go and find out what, happening, what was happening, and she read what happened, and then she started crying. What am I saying? I'll go back to before even Vidal, Vidal said what he said. This was a woman who was taking care of some children and was taking them on the right path, but even though she was doing the right thing, she herself was discouraged because she did not know that what she was doing to those people mattered. But you see, it mattered. Because somewhere in that school was a boy called Vidal that was going to allow God to use him. And that boy, while he was walking to go and get grocery, spoke to a perfect stranger. And when that perfect stranger asked him a question, he said, my teacher, my principal, 
is my greatest motivation. And in saying that, the prayer that this woman had prayed, that she was discouraged, that she didn't want to go on, that prayer was answered by a teenager saying a good word. That's not the end of the story. So they continued raising money. They were supposed to raise the money for two weeks. By the fifth day, they had raised over a million dollars. By this time, Harvard University reached out to them. You know, that what's happening will support you with this program because it had become, you know, it just in five days, it had become a phenomenon. By the end of February, which was going into the second week, no, by the second of February, which was going on to the second week, it was on every show. Um, all the shows, I don't want to mention names of shows here, but all the major American shows, they brought this guy up to talk about, you know, what he was doing. By the 5th of February, President Obama had invited Vidal to meet with him. All this guy did was apply a, a, a biblical principle. And please put, put, put up the picture. Because when I saw this picture, I'm not going to lie, I cried. I couldn't believe it. In two weeks, because I was following this on a daily basis, in front of my Koro Koro eyes, this guy went to an inner city disadvantaged kid who would never have left the hood. But because he said one thing about his teacher, he set off a chain reaction of events that was going to take him to a place he would never have gotten to, ever. Will you allow God use you? Will you allow God use you? Will you be that voice when they're talking bad about people that you speak up and say, no, I know this person. He or she is not like that. Will you be that person that when they ask you about a question, your one minute of fame, I mean, Vidal, if Vidal had said, oh, I want to be an astronaut, we would still have liked him. But he took his one minute of glory and gave it to someone else. Will you be that person? Will you in your everyday normal life allow God use you? It's a question. So we'll move on. Um, that story, the Brandon guy, Brandon is the guy that runs the Humans of New York website. He said something that, you know, had been on my heart. He said one of the coolest things about this fundraiser is that he originated with a young man on the street who chose to tell a stranger about the love and appreciation he had for his school principal. That's it. That's all he did. So if you are sitting here and wondering, I can't solve the problem of the world. God is not asking you to solve the problem of the world. That's his job. He's asking you to solve one problem. And when you solve that one problem, you're going to set off a chain reaction that is going to solve the problem of the world. So we'll end where we started from. Three things. God created everything to be interconnected and for the world to be based on relationships and connections. You are the answer to someone's prayer. Even though this is true, you cannot and must not be dependent on connections and relationships. Mrs. Lo Miss Lopez prayed to God and then God sent her help through a young man. 
She did not depend on that young man because she would have been thoroughly disappointed. So we want to talk, as we close now, we want to talk about the many opportunities I didn't have a chance to talk about and some that you will share if we have time in like five minutes. They'll just put the Bible passages on the screen because we really don't have that much time, but they're short verses. I believe that if you want God to use you, there are many opportunities for God to use you in your everyday life. I just put out 10, but there are gazillions of opportunities. Every time you see evil and speak against it, Psalm 94 verse 16, God is using you. Can I have my verses, please? Psalm 94 verse 16. Can we please put up the Bible verse, um, passage, Psalm 94 verse 16? Bible says, who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Today, someone somewhere is praying that prayer. Will you be the answer to that prayer by speaking up against evildoers? If you do that, God has used you. You have become the answer to someone's prayer. Every time you stand up for the oppressed and the forlorn, you have become the answer to God's prayer. Psalm 72 verse 4. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. Psalm 72 4 says, Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, and to crush their oppressors. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19 Okay, they'll put that up on the screen. Okay. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the almighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living amongst you and gives them food and clothing. So when you stand up for the oppressed and for the forlorn, you have become the answer to the prayers of the people that are oppressed. And indeed, you've allowed yourself to be used by God. Every time you come in contact with the needy and you do something about it, you have been used by God. Proverbs 19, 17 and 1 John 3, 17 Proverbs 19, 17, very important verse. The Bible says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Can you imagine lending to God? Lending to God. And can you imagine God repaying you? Every time you see someone in a time of need and you stand, either you do it directly or you create a connection for that person to be helped you have just lent, sent, and borrowed God some money. 
and God will repay you. Amen. Every time you get an opportunity to honor your elders, teachers, colleagues, friends, you have. That's all Vidal did. Sometimes the people around you that are bringing life to you, they're, they're your teachers, your bosses at work, they're mentoring you, they're giving you so much, they're staying up late to be able to give you life. And when you talk about them, mm, that guy is there, his wala is too much. That wasn't what Vidal did. And that certainly isn't what the, Bible, what the Bible says in Timothy. It says anybody that is doing their teaching job well, he was talking about teaching in the Bible, of course, teaching in the church, of course, give them double honor. But then it's not only your teachers, it's the people around you. Who do you say something good to? Do you just walk up to people and say thank you for doing what you do? For being a great usher, thank you. For packing me properly, thank you. Just because, for no reason whatsoever. Every time you do that, you're encouraging someone and you're becoming the answer to a problem because you don't know if that person was just about to give up that morning. We'll move quickly now. Every time you get an, an opportunity to demonstrate loyalty, I love the story of David's men in 2 Samuel 23, 15, 17. All David said was that, oh, I just long for the water. And they went, went through the battlefront to go and get water for their king. Awesome story. Anytime you get that opportunity to demonstrate loyalty to the people God has put above you or around you, you are allowing God to use you. Every time you stand in the place of prayer, every time you come in contact with the naked and hungry, Isaiah 58, 17, Psalm 25, 33 to 36, you are allowing God to use you. Every time you stand in the place of prayer, when you hear someone's seemingly negative news or bad fortune story, instead of just clicking next, you stay and you do something. You don't need to talk to the person. You don't need to know the person, but you go into your closet. You lock the door and you spend your own time praying for heaven to move on behalf of that person. You have just in your room been used by God. An example of that is in 1 Samuel 12 to 23. Every time you remember the joy of your salvation and some people come to your mind and you know these people are not saved and you stop what you are doing and you bring up their names before God and you say God cost them to be connected to people that will speak the gospel to them. Or you even pick up your phone and you call the person and you preach the gospel to them. You have just been used by God. I can never get over, um, in John 1, 41, please, I want us to read this, this particular verse. The Bible was telling us about Andrew. Jesus had just called Andrew, follow me. Then the Bible says, Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah. That was the first thing he did. Immediately he found God, he went straight to go and look for his brother. There are lots of us here, me inclusive, that we have people in our lives that are very important to us, that mean the world to us and are not saved. How many, how many times do you pray for their salvation? Do you even spend 10 minutes a day? If you spend 10 minutes a day for a year, do you think God will not move? Let God use you. And he will use you with the very simple things. 
Every time you take a stand, you, you, you stand firm in a moment where you could have fallen. Your response is going to motivate someone else. There's some people that the reason why they found Christ is that they've seen someone standing with integrity. And they're saying, if somebody can do it, then it is possible. Because every day they see bad examples. Your good example is the reason why someone is going to come to Christ. Let God use you. Every time you have an opportunity to mentor someone, either in the secular world or in church, so there are lots of examples. The Bible has lots of examples of this. Eli, Samuel, Paul, Timothy. A controversial example that I wasn't sure if I was going to add, but I added anyway, was Naomi and Ruth. And I say controversial because of the advice Naomi gave Ruth in Ruth chapter 3, 1 to 5, when she, she basically told her how to get... Um, gets the man. But she was there for someone that God needed to be connected to somebody else. So a mentoring opportunity is a privilege. What it means is that God is trusting you to be that person for somebody else. Will you allow God use you? And that's it for me. Because really the question is, will you allow God to use you? Now, I want us to think about our lives, to take, to take a moment here. First, to do two things. To repent of the many opportunities that we could have let God use us in our everyday lives and we didn't allow him. Just because you didn't like the person. Or because you were in a bad mood. Or because of the many, many, many becauses you have. For us to say, God, forgive me. Give me another chance. I will be useful to you. Lord, forgive me. I repent. And for us to think about the many roots, many Apolloses, many Timothys, many Samuels in our lives, to think of the needy, to think of the people we should be standing in the gap for, to think of all those people and purpose in our hearts, that from today on, we will allow God use us. Every connection God brings to our lives, we will ensure that we find out from God what that person is in our life for. What's the purpose? What am I supposed to do? And that we will do it without failing. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Because I'm a tussie and dead, it was a shot,